Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 454 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Ryan Boosfield of Wolf and Wood Interactive and ask them about the design and development of their squash-stroke-breakout hybrid C-Smash VRS. Point of clarification, uh, squash in the UK is also known as racquetball, understand in other parts of the world, just to clear out any of that confusion. Anyway. Yes, yeah, C-Smash VRS is a reinterpretation of an old Dreamcast game, one that I was not familiar with, which is interesting because I kind of like the Dreamcast. I'm confused I didn't know about this game. But anyway, it's uh, really about a tennis tournament that occurs in space. Yeah, weightlessness and all that. Anyway, um, and they basically reinterpreted this game. Very fun and very hyper game, to say the least. And made it a VR game that's currently only available on PSVR 2. Remember that? Yeah, it came out in February of this year at the time of releasing this podcast. It's still a thing, and it will be available on other platforms, I'm sure, but at the moment it's currently out on that. I really, really enjoyed it, so much so that I had Ryan on again, because Ryan has been on before, very recently, episode 437, to talk about The Last Worker. Here he is again, talking about C-Smash VRS. Very prolific studio, obviously. But um, we delve into that and other parts of the design and development of C-Smash VRS, which no doubt you want to hear now rather than me continue to monologue about it. So let's let's do that, shall we? Chris, please do take it away. Hello, Ryan. Hello. You all right, Chris? I'm all right. Now, regular listeners or maybe recent listeners, May recognise Ryan's voice. He's been on before, very recently, episode 437, where we talked about The Last Worker. But we're not here to talk about that this episode. We could if you wanted to, but we're not. We're here to talk about C-Smash VRS. But before we do, let's find out who Ryan is. So who are you, sir? What do you do? 
Yes, so my name is Ryan Bowsfield. Um, I run a company called Wolf on Wood. Um, C Smash VRS is our fifth title. Uh, we've been running a little over eight years. Um, and yeah, the company started as a kind of solo project, which has grown into a small indie company that, yeah, based in the Northeast. And um, yeah, we've just got a yeah, yeah, we just like making games at breakneck speed, apparently. So, so it appears we are again. So we'll talk about prolific. So um for those of you who want to know more about Ryan and his background and you know what he likes doing and where he comes from, I would recommend you listen to episode four hundred and thirty-seven. He goes through that. There, don't ask him again. That's rude. However, I'm gonna ask him a question again because it's not rude, because it's topical. Because, you know, three months or so has passed since the episode. So uh, what are you playing right now, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, well, the last three months have been quite busy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so there's been a little bit of a horror uh, burst recently where um, two games that were due to be released at different times have come out very close to each other. So Outlast the Trials and Amnesia the Bunker uh, two very scary first-person horror titles uh, with unkillable enemies um, out within weeks of each other. So, yeah, I've kind of been juggling between those, between co-op in Outlast the Trials and then just going it alone in Amnesia the Bunker. And, you know, both are just absolutely fantastic. But, yeah, you have to take them in kind of small doses <laughs> with the lights on. What is it about horror games that draws you then? I think it's there's there's just yeah there's kind of a, a visceral feeling and emotion from them that you know you you don't particularly get with everything else. Obviously, I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom, love building things and pottering about and gliding around, but you know you don't you, you don't hit a point in that where you think oh I, I shouldn't go in there or. I better run back to here. You know, there's there's not a kind of immediate uh, sense of right. I need to do this. Not not why uh, because of why in a game, you know, you've you've got a, a clear cut set of tasks and you know what you're doing. But for some reason, in say the bunker, I'm you know I need to go back to save just because I need to for for myself. You know, it's like a, a personal thing that's not anything to do with the kind of game progression. And I think. There is, there is just a, you know, that that raw uh, kind of feeling you get from a horror game is is so different to you know matching matching threes or <laughs> the kind of uh, you know Pachenko payoff of you know something like uh, Peggle or you know something like that where you you get close to that but not quite the same. Yeah, I must admit, um, not as anything against threes, everyone. Just saying, come on, leave threes alone. Uh, but yeah, it's a different game anyway. But the point being, I find like I remember Alone in the Dark when I played that many, 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 many years ago, and I yeah. get it. That game was terrifying for multiple reasons, and it was you know your controls were poor. You could die any second. I mean, it was instant death. No. Like oh yeah, you, you've now walked you know two feet down that way. Should have done that. And a fall, the floor falls through into a pit. Now you're dead. Enjoy. And I, what? 
And that was, you know, one of the earliest versions of that kind of genre. And it's been going for decades since. Um, yeah, so. I had that one, uh, yeah, back in back in the late 90s, mm. um, which was bought for me. Uh, yeah, and then that was obviously the kind of first real jump into that 3D horror. Like prior to that, it was kind of Atari games with, you know, very basic, <laughs> where they kind of used... Um, <laughs> yeah, just just ASCII characters to build up a scene, which you know, obviously there's kind of a romance for that, and you know, you, modern games that are kind of doing that sort of thing now. Um, what's it called? Faith, I think that's another one on me. You know, to playlist, hmm. um, kind of one bit horror. I'll be playing a bit of um, World of Horror as well. Uh, which again is kind of a one bit, two bit graphical kind of homage to Junji Ito, which works beautifully. Um, yeah, that's, it's kind of nice. Uh, yeah, you can play it on the laptop as well. It's something that you can just dig into every now and again without, you know, needing to get get the rig fired up. Although, thankfully, the Steam Deck has pushed that away from me. I've been. I travelled recently and I played a few games. I played Slayer Spire and stuff like that on it, which is great for the battery on that thing because otherwise it lasts about twenty minutes. Anyway, yeah, can... Vampire Survivors is good for that as well. Yeah, it is. It is. So, enough of that. Thanks, Brian, for sharing what you're currently playing, and hope everyone can delve into some horror during the summer at the time we're releasing this show. Anyway, so <laughs> if, if you're not, whatever. But let's go into part two of the show, where we'll be going quite deep into C-Smash VRS.
It's the first question, Ryan. And uh, you may remember this. It's not really a question, it's a request, because we can't talk about C-Smash VR. And to explain, and I mean between us, I think we're going to do this between us. What is C-Smash VRS? So, yeah, it's uh, licensed based on the original title, uh, Cosmic Smash, which uh, came out on the Naomi cabinet. Um, I think there were, you know, hundreds of those made, not thousands. And on Dreamcast, after the Dreamcast had been discontinued. So it's a very, I think only in Japan as well. So it's a very unusual niche <laughs> title that um the uh, publisher that we're working with who i mentioned in the last podcast Jorg Tittle who is an absolute Sega fanboy used to write for official uh well Dreamcast magazines and so on 20 odd years ago um he came to us uh while we were midway through the last worker and asked if we were interested in, you know, pursuing uh, this title. Um, so, yeah, I said yes, and um, uh, we went for it, got involved in the process, contacting Sega and, you know, trying to get hold of the right people, uh, the people who, you know, hold on to the licenses. And obviously, you know, you're dealing with a large international company, so, you know, getting to the right one person, who remembers <laughs> that title were quite a quite a feat, um, which you know, pulled off. Um, and yeah, so so from there, it's been um, kind of a process of Wolf and Wood being uh, design development and Rapid Eye Movies, your company, being the uh, publisher, and obviously very hands on in the whole process and pulling together kind of a a crack team, sort of a team of uh, various designers, musicians, uh, concept artists, so on, to, uh, yeah, to pull the whole thing together. And it's ultimately, I've described it as being a cross between squash, stroke racquetball, if you're American, and breakout. It is very much that, where you're hitting a ball across a court in an enclosed space, and we have these various blocks sort of it's very yeah. similar to that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean conceptually it's just a very simple you know, again, you know, talking about something that's visceral, it, it you perform one action, have kind of one result ultimately, and it's yeah, it's it's quite a step away from the projects we've done in the past. We've done a couple of horror games, we've done Hotel R and R, which was um uh, yeah, kind of multifaceted uh, game about smashing things up, but yeah, quite a lot more involved in that. And then obviously the last work, a very heavy narrative. So, you know, taking everything back to, you know, one interaction essentially, um, as, yeah, it's, it's been an exciting process for us. Um, just, you know, being able to bring things to, you know, what is just a core mechanic and really refine and work on that to, you know, bring this thing to life. In, well, certainly done that. It's a VR game, just so everyone understands. So you're, you're swinging your bat or racket, or whatever you want to call it, 
uh, and uh, and you're you're smashing the ball. Now the biggest difference, and this leads into my first question. Now there's a bit of a conceit, lots of conceits actually in C Smash, which make it even more special. But it's in a space station, or you're in space, you're in low orbit. I don't know, but you're definitely not on a planet. So therefore, the gravity is, shall we say, different. Uh, not necessarily what you're used to. So as you slam the ball, it doesn't go flying. It doesn't behave in a similar way that you would find on a regular planet, whatever that planet might be, typically Earth, but any others. So it does. It Basically, you think you know, you know, when I first hit the ball, I, thought, I know what it's going to do. No, you don't. No, you don't. And um, what have you done? in the design of C-Smash VRS, in terms of this player's interaction with the ball, what have you done to make sure that they, as a player, adjust to the altered physics and let them to understand that this is how it behaves, not how you think it behaves? Yeah, so because that's the first, the, the first and, yeah, definitely the obvious challenge of taking... Um, the original Cosmic Smash, which was, you know, a third-person, joystick-controlled arcade machine where the character could do backflips and power smashes that would uh, involve, you know, pirouettes and whatnot, and then put the racket in somebody's hand and say, yeah, do that, go on. <laughs> Always going to be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Obviously, that being the first challenge, uh, we've we've kind of created a a multi-faceted, multi-leveled uh, system of kind of background assists, which um, you can. There's sort of a little exposure of them sometimes when you um, say if the ball's stuck behind something, you can move, and then the ball's slightly attracted to you. And so that's that's part of the overall system. We do certain things to kind of keep the height so that um, whenever you're hitting it back, the ball's coming in at a, a reasonable or man, you know reachable um, height. And then obviously we can play that seated as well. And yeah, the, from from the from the goal really, we we've kind of kept it simple in the sense that there's kind of two levels. You hit it hard. It goes relatively straight. I mean, it does home a little bit towards where we think you're aiming for. Um, and then if you hit it soft, so if you're just defending, because obviously there's the versus mode multiplayer as well, or if you hit it very hard and then it kind of bounces off awkwardly and you just have to defend it to kind of keep it in play, then we do have more of a, a bounce, um, which has a little bit more freedom and has the gravity and less of the kind of space feel to it. Um, but those ones are the, the kind of non-targeted, so they kind of act more like how you would expect the ball to act. Whereas the the ones targeted, where you know we we think you're aiming based on you know the kind of position and um, angle of the racket, they're the ones where we you know we had add a little bit of homing and um, direction to to you know have that sense of power. Yeah, and thankfully the technology allows you to rotate the the uh, racket very, very finely, and you can really put some spin on the ball and do all sorts of weird and wonderful shots with it, which is 
wonderful and very rewarding. Speaking of rewarding, here's my next question. The implementation of the power shot, from what I can gather, from what I can understand, is not explicitly explained, at least I don't remember, but it seems to be focused on this, I understand it, from how many volleys you return. The more you actually get a rally going and return the ball, your bat changes colour from this white thing with dots on it to being a glowing thing. Yeah. And it's kind of reminding you that you can now really slog the ball in a way and get some bonus and actually get more more panels destroyed because that's ultimately what you're doing, everyone. You're hitting this ball against a long corridor and eventually you, you, you will hit one of these boxes or cubes or rectangles. Uh, sometimes you have to do it multiple times in order for it to remove, just like Arkanoid, you know. Um, but... Um, just want to ask, how did this come about? How did that idea come about? And what did you do to make sure that the player is suitably rewarded with the number of returns they do? Yeah, so the the initial um, power shot that we did, we we automatically home in on um, a block. So we know, you know, if you go for that, you unless you can hit something in between, like a blocker or something, then you're going to get a point. Is is going to pay off, um, but as we as we approached the full version, we'd we'd seen people playing the demo. We'd seen a lot of um, feedback from obviously single player in the demo, and then the versus modes. And so the versus modes we saw, well, we didn't just see. You know, we we played a lot of it, and we got some really long rallies running within within the team, and it, the speed of that game where. You, you're returning the ball with the power shot active, it becomes you know so intense. Um and we the idea of the the power shot where it kind of goes back and forth is we wanted to bring a little bit of that into the into the single player as well. So as the ball goes out, yeah, you know you're gonna hit something, it's pretty uh pretty cert. And then as it comes back, it comes back faster. So then you've got to return it, and then if you want to continue that um, that run of feeling powerful, you know there is there is a skill level that you've got to um, build up, um, which is you know pretty easily done through playing the game, just being able to judge the direction and where it's coming from and where it's going to. But you know it still involves something that um, you know you have to get a little bit better at to take full advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I just found it as a lovely little addition. You know, it needn't have been there, but I think it helps. It, it gives you that just edge, like just working towards something that's over and above what you normally can do. Otherwise, it would have been a little bit flat. So it's interesting. Just that little addition makes uh, for an even more entertaining experience. Now, next question. You mentioned the single-player, multiplayer. We haven't mentioned that yet, but... I believe, in my, my my contention is C-Smash VRS is actually two games in one, or two experiences in one, whereas the multiplayer is much more frenetic experience, in my experience. It's much more intense, not in a negative way, but you're actually dealing with another human being who has their own desires and needs and wants, so to speak, and uh, tactics. Oh, boy, do people have tactics? They certainly do. And there's a whole tranche of game modes which are quite different 
to the single player mode, which is a you versus these series of puzzles, which are knocking out these cubes and have blocks and all sorts of things trying to prevent you from doing that. And you have to do it within a certain time period. Extraordinary setup. So it's almost two experiences in one. But I have to ask, and you already hinted at that just a moment ago, but have you found during the development of C Smash VRS that one mode of play has informed the other and there's some crossover between the two in creating this whole experience? And and if so, can you give us examples? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been... Um... Uh, that's one of the good things of obviously having the demo out there as well. You know, we've we've been able to you know see it out in the world and, and actually just play people. Um, you know, we don't tell them <laughs> that we've been playing it a lot longer. <laughs> so, yeah, it does feel a little bit unfair, <laughs> but you know, it's it's all part of the research. <laughs> that won't last long. Just to point it out, it probably hasn't lasted. Long. They're, they'll. There are the players of your game will always, I say always, typically they do outshine the designers. Such is the way of things. Yeah, yeah, we've already seen a few. Um, yeah, we saw somebody playing the demo online just today who's completely smashed our times, like really. Uh, they had it, yeah, every mechanic they had absolutely down. Um, but yeah, when they do actually get the full game, they're going to realise that we've uh, yeah we've adjusted for that. So, but going back, them. but going uh, back to the, yeah, going back to the question, it's really about how the two modes of play have informed each other in the design process. Have you, have you found that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's definitely some examples of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the multiplayer. Um, experience just from the from the outset was a lot faster we initially the the gameplay that we had for the single player was quite slow quite um paced which you know we do intend to have certain mods that 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 do that um part of the infinity updates that we're doing but um the initial feeling was you know once we played a few rounds of multiplayer and we you know we were batting things back and forth between each other we yeah we upped the pace just i think three days or so before the demo launch we upped the pace of the whole thing just to you know really bring it in um and then the, the you know the the game modes from multiplayer which the game modes uh, a lot of them came from us doing internal game jams so we would split off into two or three teams. Uh, Nobody speak to each other about what they were doing. It's all very, you know, competitive. And then, yeah, we split off, work on our modes, um, different game ideas. So Firewall, for example, came from uh, a a jam that we did. And by the end of the day, we had, you know, a working prototype of that, which really... um, you know, everybody just wanted another go, so we we knew we were on to something with that. And then the whole idea of the wall kind of moving back and forth, dependent on who's winning, just a really simple kind of, you know, Mario Kart style <laughs> mechanic where, but we it's, it's literally in your face in that one. You know, you can't, you can't miss that mechanic. You can't not understand what's happening. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's definitely 
like multiple things. It, I think the, the speed of things has been the biggest, the biggest part of it because yeah, we did start very kind of spacey and slow, and then actually, you know, getting in there against somebody else and seeing the kind of frenetic energy, it really did like make us increase the the overall pace of things. Obviously, there is a little bit more of a puzzle element to the um, to the single player modes and we do have like the trick levels where if you kind of bide your time don't serve the ball straight away and just wait for things to line up then you can you know hit it straight through and get a a brilliant time on that one um yeah no yeah that's 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 wonderful and it's great to hear that uh the team went off and said let's just think of some modes ourselves in individually and see what we can come up with and and um, yeah, it definitely feels like it was a product of uh, some brainstorming, not in a negative way. So, last question then. I oh, know, here we are already. And here it is. I've got to talk about the visuals because it is a quite striking looking game. Um, so, it seems to be contrasting colours and clean lines and very simple patterns, if any, are very much the order of the day when it comes to the visual styling of C-Smash VRS. Why? Um, yeah, so that comes back to the, uh, comes back to the original. Um, so, yeah, the original pretty much played in a white room that then would turn dark and then back to a white room. Um, we, for the project, we're working very closely with um, two graphic designers, Corey Smiths, and Dan Clark, Archetype, and uh, concept artists as well, uh, Rob Davis. And so we've, yeah, with with those people, with Rapid Eye Movers, um, yeah, uh, j- just broadly, uh, we've, you know, worked at just reducing everything down to its, down to its kind of basic components, which at some points has been um, a little bit confusing. You know, you, you remove... Um, an outline or a shadow you suddenly you don't know where the ball is in 3d space um but yeah with the trails with the detail with certain things just enough information for you to follow and track where everything is without yeah without overload the the original had a lot of glows and a, a lot of the kind of features of you know rendering at the time which yeah we we did in the very first prototype but yeah, it didn't didn't quite hit the mark. It didn't look quite as graphic as you know what we're aiming for. I think a lot of the life as well it comes from the animation. Obviously, during the game, you kind of focused on the ball, whereas in the menus, in the in the space station, you you know there's there's kind of these fun aspects hanging around. We've got these cosmonauts who are flying past the arenas. We've got moments where there's kind of asteroids hitting and uh, ships flying past. And so there's all these kind of like little things around again. They're all very abstracted. They're all very simple. Um, The boss at the end of Journey where it's a a, a prism that kind of (laughs) just a a very basic shape. They're kind of, you know, breaks apart and reveals that it's more complex inside, but, you know, ultimately kind of comes back down to this you know, we're we're essentially a, a soft 
shape the ball versus a sharp shape, which, um, you know, the kind of whole, whole concept and the whole concept of the black hole as well is, you know, absolutely, you know, stripped back to, you know, essentially a few rings and, you know, the lines and shapes moving into that, which, you know, each frame, you know, obviously works very well in single shots because each frame does look like something that, you know, it's so clean and crisp. It looks a million miles away from um, kind of a very rendered, realistic attempt at a scene. Yeah. I mean, he could have gone that way. I mean, that's what I was thinking. He could have gone this way, or you could have said, well, it's spiritually it's based on Cosmic Smash, but we're going to make our own thing and set it in some grimy sort of backwater space station thing and have, <laughs> yeah. it, have you smashing this metal ball around that's, you know, you could have done that, but you didn't. <laughs> and I think that would, have been yeah, the, that, that would have been the wrong way, in my opinion. You may disagree, but uh, I think what you've done here is is the right way to because it really helps with the player knowing where the ball is, where they are in relation to the ball and the blocks and the other player and all sorts. It's just you don't want that. You don't want people having to do sort of like rendering shadows and all sorts of things going, I couldn't see it because it was behind a dumpster or something. It just doesn't, it doesn't make yeah, any sense, yeah. you know. But, it kind of uh, just goes off into the fog. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the sequel. Who knows? Um, but um, no, C Smash VRS has been developed by uh, Wolf and Wood and published by Rapid Live Movers, as we've been discussing. And what platforms is it available on? And um, so we've launched on uh, PS5, which like PlayStation VR two specifically. Um, there is uh, discussions about other platforms in future as well. Of course, of course. But yes, that's what I've been playing on uh, since its release, and it's been quite a quite a workout. Everyone, good to be said. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't underestimate how much moving you got to do. It's good, it's good. I encourage this kind of thing. But yeah, especially in this hot weather at the time we we're recording this, everyone, because you might be listening to this in the far future when it's cold or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's uh, oh yeah, it's, uh, I need to take a shower afterwards. But it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, it's been fantastic you having you on the show again, again. Brilliant, yeah. Cheers for having us. Yeah, um, no. yeah I don't think we've got another game planned in three months. So, no, yeah. no. But when you do finish whatever you're currently cooking, do let us know, and you can come back on again to talk about that. Brilliant. But uh, whatever that will be, or whenever that will be, we will be here. But thank you. We're chatting about C Smash VRS. Nice one. Cheers for having me. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com.
Thank you.